0: odyssey celebrates the class of 2024 brought to you by t-mobile you can count on t-mobile to help you stay connected on america's largest 5g network carl calabrese joins us a little over a week until those very important midterms carl thanks so much for joining us this morning
1: my pleasure joe thanks for having me
0: now carl obviously we'll start here in new york state the governor's debate uh during the week i believe it was on tuesday one of one um how do you think the candidates
1: performed well i i think it was a very good debate um, i think we got a good view of what both candidates will believe believe in um i would award the the debate to zeldon on the basis that he won the issue which is the most important issue in new york state today and that's crime he won that hands down Um, highlighting the violence that is occurring in this state, highlighting uh, the the problems with the cashless bail law, uh, and he clearly stated that if he's elected, on day one he will do two things. Um, He will declare a crime state of emergency, which under law will then allow him to suspend the cashless bail law and send it back to the legislature to be reworked, and he would fire the district attorney in New York City, a man named Alvin Bragg for not prosecuting violent crimes. Uh, that's very specific. If you're a New York City resident, um, that second item is what is called in politics a damn right issue. You know, people in New York City hear that and immediately say, damn right. Uh, and the same with the cashless bail suspension. Uh, so, you know, I thought those were very specific and Unfortunately, with Kathy Hochul, and she said this two or three times. She said she had plans that she will unveil in January. Uh, when the new legislature goes into session. I'm sorry, that, that's not good enough in a campaign. Uh, he, he was very specific, and I, I give him the debate on crime. And uh, as I say, that that is the number one issue in the state. I've been following the polls of New York State for years, if not decades, and I can never remember a time when the number one issue was not something to do with the economy, jobs, taxes, something of that nature. And to see crime, which a month ago was the number three issue in the state, suddenly vault to number one, tells you this campaign is moving down a a track that many, many people did not anticipate and I think plays in Lee Zeldin's favor.
0: You know, uh, Carl, I was looking at a few uh, polls this morning, and to me, it's just surprising. You've got how close Zeldin Hochul is, but then you look at the the Schumer opinion uh, race. it, it, It looks like there are people
1: who will go to the polls, vote for Lee Zeldin and Chuck Schumer. Yes, that's true. That's called ticket splitting. Uh, it's been a phenomenon in this country for for decades. Uh, it seems to be getting less these days as the country has become more polarized and set in its you know left-right dichotomy. But in, in this case, that may be. Uh, but I, I think part of the problem is or problem the situation is is that the the governor's race has been given a lot more coverage. Uh, a lot more attention than the Senate race. And when you have a Senate challenger to an incumbent who doesn't have a lot of money and doesn't score some points early to get the media's attention, uh, it gets relegated to the the back bench, so to speak, and people tend to go with the the comfortable slipper. So, you know, in that case being Chuck Schumer, having been a senator for so long. But there's no question that governor's races tend to take the attention and uh, attract the spotlight. That's True, not just in New York, but across the country, and um, governors' races are extremely important. But I, I, I think that I think that that's probably going to happen. Now, I people have asked me who's going to win this race for governor. I don't know yet. I think I think it's a slim chance for Zeldin to win uh, because of the deep blue nature of New York State that has voted Democrat for so many decades. That's a tough hill to overcome. He, to, in order for him to win, his opportunity to win rests on two factors, a low turnout in New York City, and whatever that low turnout is, him getting 33% of it. If those things don't happen, he can't win. Now, I'm told by my friends on the Democrat side of the aisle, that the Democrat Party is wringing its hands over the lack of enthusiasm for Kathy Hochul in New York City, and I would imagine from you know now till literally the polls close, uh, the Democrat Party in the state and in New York City is going to be doing everything it can to jumpstart a big turnout of Democrats in New York City in order to make sure she wins, because if they don't do that, he, he's going to win the race.
0: It's probably why we saw uh, former President Obama uh, latch onto her campaign yesterday.
1: No, no question. No question about that. Um, you know, they're, they're sending Obama to the key states for governors and Senate races. And guess who they're not sending? <laughs> OK, they're not sending Joe Biden and they're not sending Kamala Harris. Uh, that, that speaks volumes. For the very, very difficult predicament Democrats are in in this cycle, Uh, not being able to rely on your president and vice president to help swing uh, races in key districts uh, because of their unpopularity really puts the Democrats at a disadvantage.
0: You you talk about that, that enthusiasm issue that Democrats have, and we're hearing now Governor Hochul talk about how she's used to running as the underdog. Is that another strategy that she is using to get people to the polls? Oh, I'm, I'm sure it
1: is. Uh, she, she, they've, they've, got to, they've got to put fear in the hearts of Democrat voters that the, a Republican might get elected uh, as governor of New York State. And one way to do that is say she's the underdog, she's losing, you've got to come out and vote, don't take anything for granted. You know, every incumbent has a, a fear, of, especially if they've been used to having uh, a lot of popularity and big election victories. And remember, her, her primary victory was overwhelming. Um, in, in, uh, in the New York State gubernatorial primary this year, overwhelming, uh, and so she's used to that. And all of a sudden now, it looks like she's in a dogfight. And so uh, you know, every every incumbent fears that their supporters will say, "Oh, you're in good shape. You don't need my vote." Uh, And so I think that's part of it as well, to, to throw a bucket of cold water reality, political reality into the faces of Democrat voters that, hey, we could lose this thing if we don't get big turnouts of Democrats statewide and especially New York City. You know, I, I, I talked to people, some some of my friends in New
0: York City who, you know, uh, politically do not agree with me. They are uh, politically, politically to the left and have said, you know, with the crime they're seeing, with the bail reform issues, they are thinking of either not voting or voting for Lee Zeldin. Are you surprised the inaction Uh, by Democrats before Election Day with, I mean, any day you look at the, any time you look at the New York Post, there's something else about, uh, you know, in a subway station or someone that was on um, cashless bail. Are you surprised the inaction?
1: I'm not because the Democrat Party uh, has pretty much turned itself over to its progressive left wing uh, with some absolute zany ideas about crime and criminal justice and prosecution, that only work in the faculty lounge of of very leftist universities. And when you put them in practice in a real city, uh, you get disaster, you get chaos, you get mayhem. And that's what we've seen happen. Unfortunately, it's that progressive wing of the Democrat Party that is driving it now because that's where all the energy intellectually, uh, politically uh, comes from, and where the financial support comes from. And so the Democrats are going to have a real reckoning Uh, after this election of what they're going to do going forward, because as long as they continue to allow the left-wing progressives to drive their party agenda, it is going to be tough, tough going in elections, because that agenda does not sell to the American people. And I think they're going to issue a verdict very strongly on November 8th of just how unpopular it is. But I'm not surprised at all, this is, the, the Democrats have essentially turned the keys over to these far left progressive faculty lounge types to implement policy. And what we're seeing is just how, how zany and insane it is. And they're going to pay a price for it on November 8th.
0: Now, obviously, we're looking at other elections around the country. And I got to ask you about Florida, the governor's race, um, Ron DeSantis and Charlie Crist, who used to be a Republican Uh, Ron DeSantis. Is it just me thinking that he's got this thing in the bag because here he is in New York state campaigning for Lee Zeldin?
1: Yeah, it looks that way. Uh, Joe, I've been following that race. And, you know, initially it was a little tighter than most people thought it should be, four or five points for DeSantis. And then it started going up and up and up. And the latest I've seen, it's now a double-digit lead. Depending on what poll you look at, it's anywhere between 11 and 14-point lead. So for him to be uh, going out of Florida to help other Republicans, uh, that tells you that he's very, very confident in not just the public polls, but also his internal polls, that he's going to win that thing. It looks like Rubio has, they thought that was going to be a tough race in the Senate. Uh, against uh, Congresswoman Demings, um, and that has opened up. He's opened up a seven-eight point lead now. So that that's pretty much out of the picture. You, you can always tell where the the close races are by where the parties spend their money. And Democrats are taking money out of out of the Florida Senate race uh, to bring it to other other candidates who need the help. So yeah, DeSantis is. He's, he's got this race, you know, unless, unless there's some incredible, in, in this case, it would be a November surprise. Uh, he, he's going to coast to victory, and the next talk will be, what does he do in 2024?
0: You know, that's, that's where all eyes are after, uh, after Election Day. Uh, we'll move up to Georgia. That Senate race also uh, getting a lot of the attention. You know, there's been national television debates uh, for that Senate race. Uh, where do you think that's, you know, this, uh, a week and a few days out? Uh, do you see that going one way or another? Or is that one that we're going to be waiting late on Election Day to see?
1: Well, we may wait well beyond election day because Georgia has this kind of quirky law that if neither candidate gets 50% plus one, they go to a runoff. The top two candidates go to a runoff in December. So a lot of people are speculating that uh, on election night, um, Herschel Walker will win uh, the plurality, but be short of a majority and therefore ha- face a runoff in December. Now, Georgia has changed this law since the last runoff, uh, which Warnock got elected, Uh It used to be in January, so you had uh, almost two full months between Election Day and the runoff. They've shortened that now to four weeks. Uh, But, again, right now, uh, Governor Kemp uh, running against Stacey Abrams has opened up a double-digit lead, I think, um, this I, I was going to say this will put an end to the career of Stacey Abrams, but Stacey Abrams, like Beto O'Rourke, is one of these Democrats that never go away. So I think she will she will resurface somewhere, somehow. But it looks like Kemp is going to win comfortably. And uh, Walker, who was behind for most of the race going into the debate, going into that debate, he was three to five points behind Warnock. After the debate, he's up five. So uh, that's looking better. and he, And he could win it outright on election night. But... uh, I think he's going to certainly win a plurality on election night and, at worst, face a a runoff, which should favor the Republicans uh, going into a December race. And then you head up to Pennsylvania,
0: Carl, where I was uh, driving through on Friday. And, you know, you've got the billboards, the signs. I think you have more signs and billboards for the Senate race than you have for the governor's race there. Uh, but both are quite close in Pennsylvania heading into Election Day. And again, that's another one that's had the national debates and a lot of national money uh, going into that state.
1: Yeah, that that could be that could be the key state, uh, uh, you know, the Keystone state, the pun intended, um, in terms of the Senate majority. Um, Oz, who was consistently behind all summer long into Labor Day by seven, eight, nine points, uh, began to close that gap going into the debate. They entered the debate with Oz back three points, uh, and again that that's from a Labor Day um, deficit of almost nine, if I recall. Uh, Following the debate, Oz is up three, three to five. So uh, that debate certainly, certainly hurt Fetterman uh, and helped Oz. The problem and the unknown in Pennsylvania is the early voting. Uh, A million people voted in early voting before they saw that debate. And as I said on David Bellavia's show on Friday, you wonder how many of those people who may have voted for Fetterman pre-debate saw that debate and I starting to have some second thoughts but it's too late I, I think going forward in, in, into the we, we should always have a policy whatever whoever the organization is that sponsors a debate be it a media outlet or a group like the League of Women Voters or something like that should insist in those states that all debates occur prior to the start of early voting, uh, this is just not right. It does, too many surprises can happen when you open up the polls weeks ahead of time and before debates. So I would hope that that organizations that sponsor debates uh, going forward insist the candidates. We're doing it before the the um, early voting starts, and if you don't show up, your opponent can debate the empty chair. Those are the those are the the conditions, and uh, those are the consequences if you decide you want you don't want to obey by those go by those rules. But this is this is. Just not the right thing to do. People should see these candidates in debates and then vote, not the other way around. Carl, uh, you know,
0: you look at that. There's also the gubernatorial debate. Do do you see that the number for governor changing along with the Senate? Are those numbers fluctuating at the same rate?
1: Not 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 at the same rate. Uh, Republican candidate uh, has been behind by uh, double digits in the summer. He's closed it a bit. Uh, I think it's down to seven points. Uh, I'll take a look at the the, the next uh, cycle of polls that come out. But here's the thing: um, I read an article this week by Real Clear Politics, and Real Clear Politics, and they're famous for doing what they call the average of polls, where they'll take, you know, six, seven, eight, sometimes ten polls from around the country and average them out. That's a good technique. But polling has gotten very inaccurate in a lot of ways, and frankly, I think a lot of polling companies have become very biased and uh, politically woke, so to speak, and uh, their polls are, are very inaccurate. Real Clear Politics is going to begin assigning a grade to polling companies that they cite based on their accuracy going back to 2016. So if, if a polling company is biased and is is not giving accurate results. They're going to suffer when you look at their poll and you see they got a grade of D or D minus. You can say, wait a minute, this is a garbage poll. So that that's. I think that's a, a very interesting change. And the other thing that Real Clear Politics did is they went back in time, and looked at a number of different polls versus what actually happened on election day, and found that there's a great number of polls that under underestimate. Republican strength by anywhere from one to five points. In Pennsylvania, for example, it's, it's three and a half, almost four point underestimation of Republican strength. So th- that's why there's so many so called surprises. You look at the polls and Republicans down three points, four points, five points, and then election comes about and they win. It's because it was not a good poll, uh, and, and you, we're going to know more about that thanks to Real Clear Politics and their grading of, of pollsters as, as we move forward. Now, Carl, the other, oh, go on. I was going to say the other thing that is, is this red wave. I mean, waves tend to really shape up in the second half of October going into elections. And I think we're seeing that now. And boy, once a red wave or a blue wave gets going, uh, it's, it's tough to stop. And the question is, if we do have a red wave in the country, which I think we will, does it penetrate New York State? That is going to be uh, the big question, that's a big unknown now, and if it does penetrate New York State, you'll see Republicans pick up state Senate seats, state Assembly seats, and possibly even the governor's house. Now, any other
0: um, Senate races out there that, you know, Georgia, Pennsylvania are the ones, and Florida to an extent, are the ones that we've heard so much about. Any other ones that are close that might uh, flip uh, on Election Day?
1: Yeah, there's two or three. Um The uh, Arizona race where the incumbent uh, former astronaut Mark Kelly is facing off against a newcomer named uh, Blake Masters. Again, go back to Labor Day, Kelly had an eight nine point lead. Uh, That is now tied and some polls have Masters ahead. Um, He did a great job in his debate against Kelly as well and so that's one that could flip. Arizona, uh, Nevada could flip uh, Adam Laxalt, that's a very popular name uh, in in Nevada, uh, he's ahead, so you could have a, a flip on that one. And then all of a sudden, the one that has emerged is New Hampshire, where you got Maggie Hassan facing off against a newcomer, um, uh, Boldock, his last name is, I, for, I, I can't re- recall his first name, but he's a retired Army general. And uh, I believe Boldock was one of these guys that the Democrats put money into during the primary to elect because they thought he was extreme and could be easier to beat uh and now he's he's he was behind by upwards of nine points just a week or two ago and all of a sudden that race has gotten to three and a half points that he's behind democrats are panicking they're putting all kinds of money into new hampshire Uh, and again if there's a red wave and he goes into that election within the margin of error that's when you could see flip as well carl calabrese i'm uh we'll be looking forward to listening to you with david
0: on friday and i'm sure we will talk with you on election day
1: look forward to it thank you joe